Today's episode is brought to you by Dreammaker Racing, the New York bred specialist. From top quality New York bred racehorses, Hall of Fame trainers, and unmatched hospitality services, Dreammaker Racing has everything to offer when it comes to owning a racehorse. Have you ever imagined what it's like to see your horse cross the finish line first at racetracks like Saratoga or Belmont? Well, now you can. Dreammaker Racing will put you in the winner's circle. Call today at 518 518- 587-5550 or visit DreamMakerRacing.com and let us make your dreams come true today. Welcome to another episode of the Patient Stew Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Please, please don't forget to rate, like, subscribe, tell us how we're doing. Give us uh, give us a rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, we appreciate your feedback. We we thrive on it. So thank you for those who, who have done that and uh, ask, asking you if you haven't, please do. Uh, you can catch us at Peach, P-I-E-S-C-H, underscore Stucast, S-T-U-Cast. Um, check us out there. We're posting content all the time. We've got a ton of backlog of, of interesting interviews and shows you might find worth your time. Just recently, uh, Scott Bernstein talking about... Uh, uh, mafia and sports and stories you probably haven't heard. He's a mob historian. Check him out at Original Gangsters Podcast. Really cool stuff those guys are doing. We've had Andy Serling on with uh, with his take on Arkansas Derby and and just some fun ideas of of what to think of about horse racing and and some particular horses. Very worthwhile. Um, coming up, we've got the incredible Mike Maloney. Uh, and that's going to be some very, it's going to be some intense stuff. Uh, we go into his life, some intense stories. Also some, some wisdom, uh, from a man who does it every single day and, and is out there earning a living as a professional gambler. Uh, and he, he's got cojones of steel, as they would say. So please check that out. We got PTF, Peter Thomas Fornatel in the backlog. We've got uh, a longer form Andy Serling interview. We've got uh, just tons of people in our backlog. David Aragona, Doug O'Neill, Mike Trombetta. Um, if you're digging horse racing content, it's there. Um, so we we hope that uh, you, you enjoy our interviews and, and they're thought-provoking and they get you going. But... For today, we get away from a horse racing chat. We get away from random sports takes. We get down to the nitty-gritty. We're talking analytics. We're talking scheduling. We're talking college basketball with the Kevin Palga, assistant athletic director at the great Michigan State University. And uh, he he's a guy I met oh probably about eight, nine years ago now. Um, and a guy who is incredibly smart and I think that comes through 
and his algorithms and his uh, his proprietary information is is unparalleled. I mean, it's really awesome stuff. And this guy is a guy who knows basketball in and out. Uh, he was really interesting to talk to. We've been wanting to talk to him for a long time uh, just because we know how, how good he is at what he does. And he certainly made a name for himself in college athletics. And I hope uh, he makes a name uh, for himself with you, the listener, Check him out. Check KPI Sports uh, out. KPI. Just type it in your Google machine. It's there at KPI Sports on Twitter. Um, check out Kevin Pauga. Uh, his name is uh, referenced in the title here. So uh, check him out on Twitter. Check out what he's doing. Support him. Uh, support the greatest university on the planet. And uh, we hope you enjoy this show, and we will see you next week with Mike Maloney. But first, Kevin Powell. At this time, we are joined by a guy we, we've been uh, trying to get on for a while. He's, he's a uh, white whale for us. He's the assistant athletic director at the Michigan State University, Go Green, and uh, founder, creator, of the KPI, which is by the end of this, something that you need to be subscribing to and be in tune with. He's Kevin Pauga. How are you doing, Kev? I'm I'm good. I'm 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 kind of honored that uh, that that uh, that I was kind of the, the the guy that you wanted to to get on here, and uh, ho- hopefully it uh, it can go nothing but uh, but up from here because uh, if 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 I'm kind of your your dream guest in, in a way. Um, you've got, uh, you got nothing to, nowhere to go, but up. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you know, you know what I said is because you, when I met you, oh gosh, probably about eight, nine years ago in Justin Mun- Munson introduced me to you. Um, you were one of the most interesting characters I had ever met because you, you were like this super analytical dude, but at the same time you could, you could BS with anybody and, I, I only got to run across you a few times in your office at uh, the Brez. And um, yeah, so uh, I'm just happy. It's, it's life has come full circle here. Good BS be- skills will get you. Far yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Be- be- being called somewhat normal is the best compliment I've gotten in a while. So yeah. <laughs> yeah I, 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 it is what it is. Right. Uh, starting with that though, what, how, how'd you get, to assistant athletic director at, at Michigan State, the greatest university ever. Yeah, so I, I got my start as a student manager with Coach Izzo and the men's basketball team um, when I was an undergrad at MSU um, and uh, worked with the basketball team, uh, made, made it through a tryout process uh, several years ago now. Um, and then kind of kind of from there, um, was fortunate to, to land the video coordinator position um, straight out of school. Um, our, our former video coordinator left for the San Antonio Spurs the, the, the summer that, uh, that I happened to graduate. And, and, in, and in some ways it was, um, it, it was some, some fortuitous timing. Um, and, uh, and it was a video room that I was very familiar with. Um, we had, we had actually moved into the Berkowitz complex, uh, while I was a manager, kind of just, just before half, halfway through my time as an undergrad. And, and so the, the, the video side of it was something that, uh, 
that at the time we were on the we were on the cutting edge um, relative to to some of the things that we were that, that we were doing and, and the level of familiarity that I had with that was uh, um, was was really helpful in, in me landing that job. Um, from from there, I moved on and, and spent what turned out to be just under a year at the Big Ten Conference. Um, before before I came back to MSU as the director of basketball operations, I'm not sure that I that I left thinking that I that I'd ever be back, but uh, came came back and uh, spent six years in the ops role, and uh, now spent five years as as an assistant AD, and um, it, it's it, it's kind of kind of amazing the the, the amount of time that I've that I've been able to spend, um, the the growth that, uh, that that I've been able to to experience over time, and. Um, and uh, and really get to experience uh, a whole uh, a whole lot of uh, really cool moments over the years. That's awesome. Um, in your new in, in your role as assistant AD, um, are you still pretty uh, pretty tight with the basketball team? Or are you kind of all over different departments? Yeah. So so my role now is it, it, it's a little bit more all encompassing. Um, I'll, I'll admit to you that I'm, a, that I'm around men's basketball probably more than any other sport. Um, and, uh, um, some of that's, some of that's my familiarity. Some of it's, um, also my, my love, my, my responsibilities in terms of, um, some, some administrative tasks with the, with the program, both in season, um, out of season, post season, um, all, all those, uh, all, all those different aspects of the, of the program, probably the, the, the biggest difference um, in terms of transitioning out of the, the operations job and, and into my current role relative to basketball um, is that uh, is that I'm less involved in the kind of the day-to-day um, re- responsibilities and and David Thomas who was was part of the 2000 national championship team won a whole lot of big Ten titles and and was was a really successful player both at MSU and and professionally uh, overseas um, has, has been in our, in our operations position since, since I transitioned out of it and has done a really outstanding job. And, uh, and, and in some ways he's, he's handling that, that day to day, the, the, what time is practice, the, the communication, the, the, the training table, the, the hotel planning, all those, all those things that are really day to day within the operations of the, of the program at, at any given time. Those, those are, those are more and more on his table. Whereas in, in, in my, in my space, I'm, I'm still handling several of the things related to, to, um, to non-conference scheduling, um, jumping in, especially in the postseason. there's, there's a lot more administrative tasks that, uh, that, that come up, um, and, and to have kind of a, an administrator in, in that role is, is pretty common. Um, and, and it also has allowed me to, to kind of grow my experiences, um, I jump in with with football a little bit during during bowl season. Um, some some other aspects, um, a lot of scheduling, um, a lot of uh, a lot of things in, in that space, both both locally and at the conference level. Um, that uh, that uh, has really has really helped me uh, a lot in terms of in terms of overall growth, both uh, um, both in terms of being able to to speak to people and to, and be able to to kind of gain some experiences to. As to how to, to to deal with uh, with with this whole this whole sports world that uh, that we know and love. You uh you mentioned that you know you're kind of involved with the with the basketball program and, and non um, conference scheduling. Um, given that, how important is non conference scheduling in the grand scheme of you know, <clears throat> uh, 
tournament position for your team. You know, I know that Michigan State plays a pretty tough non-conference schedule every year. Some other programs don't. You know, I, what, how important is it? So, so I'll, I'll say this: that from from an evaluation standpoint, um, the the men's basketball committee is looking at the totality of your of, of your body of work and. Um, Michigan State's fortunate that uh, that within the Big Ten, there's there's a whole lot of opportunities to to build a resume, especially these last two years or so, where where the depth of the league has been um, has been historically good. Frankly, that um, the 2018-19 season there was a was a conference record eight bids that uh, um, that came from the Big Ten, and, and, and I think that it's that it's safe to say that. Uh, um, had the NCAA tournament been selected and played this year, that uh, that you were probably looking at ten bids. Yeah, I, I know that there was that there could have been a little bit of margin margin of error there, depending on on how some things continued to to develop. Had they developed in in, in Indianapolis, but uh, um, but but either way, I think that uh, that comfortably the Big Ten was going to su- surpass that eight, and and so for a two year period, it's it's an abnormally high number of of teams, and certainly the Big Ten now with. With 14 teams, I mean, you you're at a little bit of an advantage when you have more teams in the conference, obviously. Um, but uh, but but that certainly helps from a scheduling standpoint. The 20 game schedule has um, has has been uh, um, a positive impact in in the last two seasons. Um, and, and then collectively in the in the non conference, um, there's a whole lot of strategy that, that that goes into that. Not just in terms of um, certain number of home games, trying to get some marquee opponents, trying to to get into some marquee events, the champions classic. Um, we just finished our ninth season as, as part of that, uh, that event with Duke, Kansas and Kentucky. And, and to be, to be part of that prestigious event is, is really a testament to, to coach Izzo and, and, and where, where that program is, uh, is, is kind of seen. So, so that coupled with a, with a tournament, we were in the Maui Invitational last year, we're, we're planning to be in Orlando um, in November of, uh, of this year. Um, you've got the Big Ten ACC Challenge. You got the Gavit Games. You got a lot that uh, um, it's really interesting for fans, and 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 almost organically is um, is capable of of building up a, a resume. So so certainly we have we have no shortage of of opportunities, um, and, and I think that it's that it's proven to to be really exciting. It, it may not. It may not always be exciting when 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 you have a few bumps in the road early in the season or or even during conference play, but uh, but uh, for the most part, I would I'd rather see us playing um, playing a whole lot of competitive games, regardless of what conference those those teams are from. Um, I, I'd rather see close, competitive, um, high level basketball um, as often as as we can. Right. You, and, and when you talk about scheduling too, your your background, which is really crazy, I don't know how many kids uh try and predict major league baseball schedules <laughs> uh so scheduling's always been your thing it, was that like just a, a natural transition to analytics when you when you created kpi yeah so so i'll tell you that that i think that it was less about predicting the major league baseball schedule as much as it was trying to find the patterns in the in the schedule and um and i don't know whether like the, the depending on your your taste and interest you can find this weird or people can can decide that this is normal or not and, and i'm not sure that i care anymore admittedly um, <laughs> but uh um you, you got to have a little humility i guess but uh, but even even growing up like i've i've always been incredibly intrigued by by trying to find and locate patterns um find 
optimizations, find that needle in a haystack that, that, Hey, how can, how can we improve this schedule um, incrementally that, uh, that, that makes the, the collective pattern more, more fair? How can we make it um, with, with even some of the things that we're working on now, how, how do we, how do we take a schedule and make it more cost-effective? How do we make it um, work for television? How do we make it work for, um, class schedules and breaks and, and all that thing. And, and, and that problem solving is probably the, the, the skill that, uh, um, even going back to, to when I was younger is, is, is probably the probably most prevalent in, in what I do on a day-to-day basis. Um, I, I don't know if, uh, I, I don't know if you guys did these, but, uh, but there were these logic problems that you would do in like fourth, fifth, sixth grade math that, uh, yeah. that, uh, if, if Johnny's favorite color was red and everybody who liked apples was, uh, had a favorite color of red, then Johnny likes apples and all those if thens and, 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 and whatnot. And, and I was always fascinated by, by those and the, and the complexity of, of, uh, of those problem sets are essentially what, what scheduling is in a way. And, uh, and it doesn't mean that you always hit, uh, hit the right schedule. Um, I'll, I'll readily tell you that, that, uh, that look, you can, you can go through different schedules and, and find, find faults in it. And, and in most cases, um, before we complete the non-conference schedule, we actually, we actually know what those faults are. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you that, uh, that non-conference wise, um, I thought that last year, the sequencing of the schedule was actually one of the better schedules that we were able to, to formulate, um, how that translate, what that, uh, what that always means is, uh, um, is, is left to, to actually play in those games. But, uh, um, it, 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 it's funny last year. And, and I think back to 2013, 14 in particular, where we were able to get some spacing between road games and home games and, um, spacing between types of opponents. Um, those are, those are some of the better non-conference schedules that we put together. Um, over uh, over a period of time, other other instances um, where like, look, we're we're going to be in Orlando this year on a Thursday, Friday, Sunday, and then uh, and then play the Big Ten ACC Challenge um, immediately after that. That's a lot of games in a compressed window, but there's there's not a whole lot that we can do about it. So what we try and do is we try and protect on the front and back end of that entire group and to the level that we can have success with that, um, it varies over time. So with your love for scheduling and uh, analytics, um, can you tell our audience about KPI and how it relates to, you know, uh, Kempom as well as the NCAA's new net ranking and um, um, RPI? Yeah. So, so KPI was, um, was originally written when I was, when, when I was back as student manager. Um, the, the idea behind it was, was trying to, rather than, rather than say that Michigan state's ranked 12th in, in whatever ranking system, um, I was trying to break that down on a game by game basis. Um, and, and not just from an evaluation standpoint, but also from a future scheduling standpoint as to, Hey, if I, if, if I can, can compare what a win against team a is compared to a loss against team B. And do that in, in kind of the micro of of just those two games, and, and how its overall um, it, its overall influence affects an, a, a total resume. Then then that's some powerful information, and and that's kind of where where things started. 
Um, there's, there's two different types of metrics that are on the NCAA uh, men's basketball tournament team sheets. Um, there's, there's um, two uh, results-based metrics that are more, how good is your resume? And that, those are more backwards thinking. KPI falls into that category. Um, ESPN's strength of record also falls into that category as well um, relative to, to what's on the team sheet. And, and again, that's, that's not necessarily how good is your team. That's how good is your resume. There's three others that are more predictive in nature, um, and that's ESPN's BPI, that's Jeff Sagarin's rate, ratings, as well as Ken Pomeroy's. And that, that subset of, of information is more about how good is your team. And so that gets us to five. The sixth metric on the team sheet is NET, which is the NCA evaluation tool, and that's used as the primary sorting mechanism. Um, it's tended to be a little bit more power ranking predictive in, in nature as to more how good is your team. And, and as a sorting tool, um, and this is getting way deep into the weeds, but, but net, if it's intended to be a sorting tool on the team sheets, if it's intended to be a way to sort how good your opponents are relative to who you beat, et cetera, it makes sense to have a rating system um, quantify how good is your opponent's uh, in terms of quality as opposed to how good is your opponent's resume. And there's a fine line between those two things. And oftentimes there's a whole lot of overlap between those two, but, um, but, but to be able to, to have that as a sorting tool and then to have the two categories of, of metrics really allows uh, the committee members to, to not just identify and minimize outliers along the way, um, but it allows them to, to kind of create a narrative around the, around a team, um, which then Give, gives them some information as to, hey, what questions should I be asking about team A, team B, team C um, relative to, to why they might be ranked here? Under the old system, under the RPI, which, which I know that the RPI has been, um, been um, litigated for more than a few years, but, but keep in mind that that, that, that system was, was originally generated in the early 1980s. It was back in a time where data wasn't nearly as prevalent. And the, the, the easiest data to obtain was the results of the games. And so taking, taking the results of your games and, and factoring in the schedule strength accordingly was, was a way to, to kind of um, give that initial sort. Um, as some, some mechanisms of kind of gaming the RPI have come forward, as, as a lot more information has been available as to some better ways to do it, um, the RPI is, is not used in men's basketball anymore. Um, and, to, and some of these other analytics are in, in, in a way to, to not just create a, a, as fair a system as possible relative to, to selection, um, but also to try to create as balanced a bracket as possible relative to, to seeding once, once the bracket gets going. So it, it, over time, that was, was the KPI that you, because I think I met you right around the time, because I remember um, – you were mentioning it and, and that being jives with about the timeline you gave about um, coming up with it. Was it, was the original incarnation of it, what it is today or had you had to incorporate like other data forms or, or different subsets of data to give it more beef? Yeah. So it's, it's evolved a couple times. Um, I'd say that uh, that if we want to get technical, I guess that this is probably the fourth iteration. Um, but it's but it's um, been relatively minor adjustments. The the overall concept has um, has has always applied. I, I would think of it as more a, a few tweaks along the way. 
than, than anything else um, that, uh, that have kind of been incorporated. And it's, and it's been several years since, since I've done anything to it. Um, and, 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 and I would never do anything during the middle of, uh, of a season. Um, it's something that, uh, that during the, the, the off season, um, during the, during the summer, for the most part, um, that's, that's when it's oftentimes a good time to, to just kind of take a look and, and Hey, what, what, what went right? What went wrong? Um, what is right? What is wrong? Like, um, that, that, that's, that's some of it too, that, uh, that what is, what is the purpose? If you're trying to, are you trying to rank resumes? Are you trying to rank the better team? Are you trying to, um, compare to, to what the committee has? Like, are you trying to predict human behavior? Like there's, there's all sorts of different mechanisms. And, and that's kind of, that's kind of a good point relative to, to whatever ranking. And, and look, like um, there, there's a lot of folks out there, some really smart people that, uh, that, that have put together rankings. Um, there's, there's so much data available and it's so easy to access that data that, uh, um, that, it's, that it's easy to, to put together um, something. Um, but, uh, but, but having that, that data set prove itself out over time to, to some extent is, is, is probably worthwhile. And as you're looking at a, at a ranking, the first, the, the first question that you should ask is what is this, what is this measuring? What is it trying to compare? What is it trying to rank? And, and that's why I say, look, KPI strength of record. That's, that's not necessarily who's the best team. It's who's built the best resume. So if you've got a team that let's say is, is 10th in KPI, and is 20th at Ken Palm, what that means is that it's a team that, uh, that it has a better resume than they are a quality of team. They have outperformed the quality of their team. It probably means that they're, that they're a pretty good team in close games. And, and when you start to paint that narrative, that's why having multiple metrics on a, uh, on a team sheet um, allows you to, to kind of identify those, uh, th- that, that bit of information along the way. So like, uh, so a team like a team like Rutgers this year, for example, I mean, they were like 17 and 12, but a lot of people considered them a shoe in uh, to the NCAA tournament based off the resume that they've assembled. I mean, they had some bad losses, but they had even better losses. They're good on a neutral court. Uh, does the KPI, is that kind of what you're talking about when those little, those teams that are kind of, you know, right in the periphery of the tournament, that's when the KPI um, or the NCA rating system will really put an emphasis on, you know, their home losses, wins and neutral court, um, et cetera. P- potentially, but I, but I would say this, that, uh, that, that over a 30 plus game season, um, each game that you play, um, is about 3% of your resume. And, and, and when you think of it, um, that, that allows for you to have um, a, an, an outlier, both good and bad, a, a, along the way. And, and so um, it, it's se- several of the results-based metrics start at zero at the beginning of the season, like the KPI, even strength of record, um, net. Like they don't make any sense the first couple of weeks because there's not enough data because the computer, frankly, doesn't know who's good yet. So when Kentucky beats Michigan State on opening night, um, the computer has no idea how good Michigan State is and how good that win is for Kentucky, because there's okay. there's there's a lack of information there. But but and and just to kind of go down that that Rutgers rabbit hole for for a second, because there there became this narrative out there um, relative to Rutgers and and that they couldn't win on the road, and yet you go through all the road games that uh, that that they played, um, and they they beat Purdue on the road uh, eventually, but. 
but they had nine road losses that were to top, I think it was 35 or so teams at Ken Pong. Like there, those are games that, that by nature you're supposed to lose in, in, in some ways. And so um, their road record, while, while it was very poor, their, the, the quality of teams that they, that they played on the road was, was about as good as it gets. And, and so some of it, like I, I, I get into a lot to actual minus expected, like, like, hey, like, what, what, what type of record should an NCAA tournament team have when they play nine NCAA tournament teams on the on the road? Like that, like just by by nature, I mean, and, and I, like that record shouldn't be very good. And and so so kind of taking taking that bit of information and looking looking more at the totality of the resume because especially when you're comparing two teams that that play such different schedules. Um, we're, we're fortunate that we have some metrics and strength. The record probably does the best job of this that says, Hey, look, we've got, we've got a team that's 20 and 11 against this schedule. Is that better or worse than this team that went 25 and six against this schedule? And they're able to, 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 to do that, um, rather well, um, to be able to, to say in, in 2019, Hey, this is, this is Belmont's record relative to their schedule and, and, and how it compares. And it's pretty darn good. You know, uh, you've been doing this for quite a few years. And, and this year being the craziest college basketball season, I think, ever. Uh, I think that's fair to say with how it ended. W- were there any teams that, that, for better or for worse, that in your uh, rating system, in the KPI, that kind of surprised you towards the end of the season when, when the, the computer had time to, like you say, gather all the information and, and tell you something. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if surprise is the, is necessarily the, the right word. I, I'd say this, that, that from, an, from an analytic standpoint, usually it takes um, a couple weeks for the human opinion to catch up to what the analytics may already have already be seeing. And, and I don't say that, um, I, I don't say that to, to say that analytics are perfect. I don't say that to say that analytics are better than humans. Cause I, I'm, I'm, I don't believe that necessarily in, 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 in all cases. Um, but, but typically the numbers are able to identify um, when, when certain teams that, that maybe are a preseason top 25 team look out, out of the preseason top 25, I bet you that that most of those teams were going to make the NCAA tournament when all was when all was said and done. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but um, but I, I'd venture to guess that 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 preseason list compares favorably to to what was in play several months later. Um, but but typically you're able to to start to see some um, some flags, both both good and bad, on some teams um, a couple weeks into the season. As to hey this this team's this team's a, a little bit better than people think or or hey this team's set up to to go the wrong way or 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 schedule sequencing is is something that plays a, a big factor into it is to hey is is this team's win loss record they they had a high preseason ranking they've got an inflated win loss record right now because because their schedule is um is not quite as good so they haven't had a chance to to um to really show themselves good or bad. Um, so, so sometimes the answer is that it's, that, it, that it's unknown, but, but typically you can start to see those trends as, as they, as they start to evolve. 
And then, and then even from a kind of a predictive standpoint, you can start to see that where based on, based on what upcoming schedules look like as to, as to how some things are going to start to, to play out on the, on the ranking side, like it became pretty apparent um, probably in mid to late December that, that, Hey, the big 10 has some significant depth and, and look, like I, I don't know that even in that moment that it was, Hey, the big 10 is going to get 10 bids. Um, but I will tell you that, that going into, into the Christmas holiday, that, that I was ready to say, Hey, there's 12 teams right now that depending on how conference play goes, that there is a, there is a path to them making the NCAA tournament um, without having to do anything too crazy. Like, can you win, can you win close to, to half your league games? That's going to be enough to, to get the job done relative to, to where more than a few big 10 teams were um, right around that, uh, that Christmas midpoint. So a team like, uh, and, and this is getting away from the big 10, just a tad, uh, but a team like Dayton who loses a double overtime game against Kansas, uh, you know, loses a, a tough one to Colorado and then goes about and plays a a10 uh, schedule where the a10 is is good it's it, it's okay um usually averagely you know two or three bids but uh where does a team like Dayton or a team like San Diego State who was very polarizing all season do, when they aren't preseason top 25 teams do, do you see them like ahead of time in in like you were saying the analytics kind of predicting the did that kind of happen this year a little bit? I'll, 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 I'll hit Dayton first just because um, we didn't get a chance to play them in Maui, um, but, we, but we obviously saw them in Maui. And, and I can promise you that after, after seeing them that first game that they played against Georgia, that first game uh, of the Maui, Maui quarterfinals, um, there were a few of us just kind of talking casually, and it was very clear that that Dayton team – was very very good. Now, would that Dayton would would you have thought in that moment, hey, this is a one seed, two seed type Dayton team? I'm not sure that, um, but that looked like a top five, ten, fifteen Dayton team right then and there. The the size, the the athleticism. Um, there there are definitely some moments where where you can just tell. And, and, and I would say this regarding regarding both Dayton and San Diego State is that. Is that yeah? Certainly, their their schedules were were different, but but that's the great thing of having some some power power rankings um, and some predictive rankings on on those team sheets. Um, it was very clear that Dayton and San Diego State were very good. Um, we can debate how good, and we're and we're never going to really know how that how that would have played out per se. Um, but those were two excellent teams, and and at some point too, um, you have to be rewarded for dominance. And and look, there there are there were a couple um, there were a couple teams in the Atlantic Ten that were that were knocking on the door for for NCAA tournament bids themselves. Um, Utah State in the Mountain West um, had some injuries, kind of kind of derail uh, kind of the the middle part of their schedule. But that was an excellent Utah Utah State team that beat Florida and LSU, I believe it was um, throughout the throughout the season. So so look, San Diego State. Um, they, they, they did some, they did some work in Vegas. Like I, I can keep kind of going on and on. Um, and, and that's why, um, that, that's why you have to be able to compare, 
um, that, that in those cases, um, San Diego State, I think, lost two games. Dayton lost two games all year. Um, I don't care who you play. Um, you, you can go, you can go and, and play at your local YMCA. You, you play 30-some-odd games. It's hard to, to win all but two of them um, in, in whatever you're trying to do. So, Kevin, we're, we're all Big Ten guys here. Um, with your time um, close to the team, what rivalries in the Big Ten were you most excited to be a part of um, while you were uh, in ops and, and now as the athletic assistant athletic director at MCO? You know, you know what games I love more than anything are, are the games with, with, the most, with the most on the line. Those, those matchups as you kind of come down the, the stretch in the conference season um, where, where a, a conference championship may still be on the line. Um, like, like, like this year kind of going into, um, going into that home stretch, starting with that, with that Iowa game at home, um, that, that, that was, that was an excellent basketball game. That was a high level basketball game with a lot on the line for, for both teams. Um, and, and that's where having, um, the depth of the conferences is, is really helpful. And, and, and in some ways those last two weeks, um, in, in some cases, literally, um, they were elimination games relative to to the conference race, yeah. and, and and those environments, the at Maryland environment was was phenomenal. At Penn State, um, Penn State played played fantastic in that in that first half in State College, and um, and and look, they 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 were it, it was as good of a Penn State team as I as I've seen in a while, and and, and certainly disappointing for them that they weren't able to to kind of see what uh, what they would have looked like in the in the NCAA tournament because because they had some some size and some guards and, and all that but um but but to me one one of my favorite games was was the Michigan game um at Breslin to close the season in 2019 um because there was so much on the line and and both teams were were playing for something and and, and in some ways, that that's where rivalries are, are created. Um, there's yeah. there's been a great Michigan State Wisconsin rivalry over the years, and, and a lot of it's been because both teams have been good. And Michigan State Ohio State and and Michigan State Michigan, even beyond both both schools being in in state and there being everything to to do with that, um, both Michigan State and Michigan have been good for a while now, and and those are those are intense games. Um, high stakes games in, in great environments. And, and those, those are the games that, that, that you look forward to over the, over the course of the season when, when, when you're playing in, in those environments and, and you've got a lot on the line. So I gotta, I gotta be honest with you here. Um, I'm a, I'm a Michigan alumni. Um, you're Spartan, obviously. Alan is a Spartan too. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, um, based off, you mentioned Michigan, you mentioned Wisconsin, um, Ohio State, all great rivalries. But man, over the last decade, um, kind of once John Beeline was hired um, in the mid, you know, beginning of the first year, like 2000s, you know, once Michigan started to turn the corner, um, we've had some great basketball games between Michigan and Michigan oh, yeah. State. Um, for going back to, you know, Draymond, I remember I was a student, I couldn't stand Draymond, but he's phenomenal talent, phenomenal player, phenomenal leader for your team. And then, you know, Nick Stauskas hitting threes at the Breslin to close out a win. And then to, you know, Franz Wagner to all the way up to Cassius Winston, 
you know, great players. Uh, can you, I think it's one of the best rivalries in the country. I think it's developed into one of those um, for basketball purposes, as well as obviously, you know, we got football, but like, how, how do you measure it? Um, in, you know, in comparison to like Kentucky or Kentucky, Louisville, Duke, um, North Carolina. Yeah. So, so me being the rankings guy, um, so some, sometimes the best answer is that there's a lot of really good rivalries out there and, and trying to split hairs between, between Duke Carolina or Louisville, Kentucky, or, or whatever it may be um, can, can get a little difficult, but, but I would, I would say this, that, that, that in general with, with any rivalry um, certainly, certainly having two schools in the, in the same state or the same geographic footprint is, is always going to, to create um, a, a high level rivalry. Um, but when you, when you start to mix geography with, uh, with, with a couple um, high level programs that are, that are competing at the, at the highest level, um, it, it really ratchets up a notch. And, and that's, look, the Duke, Duke Carolina, um, Duke Carolina has as much to do with the fact that those programs have been really good for a long period of time as it does that, uh, that, they're, a, that they're a short drive away from each other. And, and look, you're, when, when you're sharing a state, when you're 65 miles or whatever it is, uh, but, but between the two, the, the two college, uh, the, the, the two college campuses, um, that's, that's where you start to, to get some fun. And, and, and look, like I, I think that it's, that it's been a really good thing that, uh, that, that with that rivalry in particular, that, that that's, that that's played twice every year now, um, in, in conference play, uh, it, it makes sure that, uh, that Breslin and Chrysler are both able to, to get that game in, in, in that building each, each year. And I know that it's something that the, that the fans really look forward to and, and uh, um, and and you're right. There's there have been more than a few really good games over the over the last several years, and and uh, and it's been a lot of fun. You know, working with Coach Izzo as long as you have, he he obviously is always fired up. It doesn't matter if you're ping, playing uh, the Jaspers of Manhattan or you're playing Duke. Uh, he, but in in my meetings with him, just off the court, he's like the most down to earth, nicest guy in the world. How how is it to work for him? Do you do you still see both sides? Because he has this this fiery passion and this intense love for for the people that uh, he coaches, and that shines through. Is is it the same way with? Uh, the folks that, that yeah, you, you, what, what it is with, with coaches or for everybody that's, that's around the program is it, is it's tough love is that it's um, he, he is, he is never stopping when it comes to, to pushing people to, to be better than they think that they can be. And that goes for um, that goes for his assistant coaches. That goes for his strength coach. It goes for his trainer. It goes for all the, all the athletes that have, that have come through the program. He wants people to want to be the best and and there's there's all sorts of um success stories that have that, that have certainly come come out of that um but but he wants people he, he wants his assistants to to get head coaching jobs and have opportunities he wants his players to to go to the nba or or play overseas or or whatever it is he wants people to to dream and i think that a lot of that's predicated on the fact um, that, uh, that, that he had, a, he had a dream in, in, in some ways from, from his career vantage point. And, 
um, found his way uh, eventually to, to being a GA at Michigan State and worked his way all the way up to, to being not just the head coach, but a, but a successful head coach at that. And, and so to, to watch him realize his dream, um, he, he wants to be able to, to share that with, with, uh, with others. So um, I, 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 w- I would rather um, somebody, somebody be pushing, um, pushing me. Um, and, uh, and I, by, by no means was, was I the player that, uh, that could play, gosh, I, I, I could barely play in the, uh, in, I, I could barely get off the bench for the, uh, for the IM team that, uh, that, uh, <laughs> that we played on, um, back, back when I was in school. So I, I should be the, the last one talking. I mean, even, even with, with manager games, I, I, I was the one that, uh, that would sub myself out at the end of the game so that the good players would, uh, would be in there because I wanted, I wanted to win more than I wanted to play. That, that, that list would definitely not include Justin <laughs> Horrible jump. Horrible jump. I promise you this, that, that um, Justin's a better basketball player than me. So, so you, can, uh, you can put that uh, in, in, uh, from, from a comparison standpoint however you want, but, uh, but Justin and I going going one and one. You should probably take uh, take Justin that in, in that. Uh, gosh, probably probably all ten ten times out of ten. Oh, he's old and decrepit and slow. I, I know, and, and got, you should still take. He's got seventy four kids. <laughs> he's got he's got seventy four kids. He's Antoine Walker. He's tired, man. Um, hey, as as we're winding it down here and and going back to your position as uh, assistant AD there. Uh, Really uncertain times, unprecedented, obviously. Um, you know, do you have any insight to to how uh, uh, the greatest university in the world, uh, the Harvard of Harvard, Michigan State, is is kind of handling this whole situation? Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll say this: that uh, like like everybody else, um, there there's a lot of unknowns, um, and, and it's really important that. Uh, um, that, that folks um, follow the, the the guidelines that are that are set forth. Um, the 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 more the the more careful that we are, um, the better that we're going to come out of this, regard, regardless of of what that looks like. And and, and certainly there's um, that there there are some some things going on that uh, that that uh, none of us have ever seen in in our lifetime. And and as a result, um, as more than a few folks have said. Um, we don't have a timeline as to as to what things are going to look like here in in the in the not too distant future. Um, that timeline is going to evolve over time. Um, there's contingency planning going on to the to the best um, to the best abilities that uh, that that, uh, that we can um, down some down some different hypothetical paths. Um, but but even those are are very fluid and, and, and very hypothetical. I, I, I would tell you this that. That um, I mean, remember on on, on that last Sunday, um, we're hosting Ohio State at Bre- at, at the Breslin Center. Um, maybe this is short sighted of me, but I'll 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 readily admit that uh, that the thought didn't even cross my mind at that point that uh, that that we may be in a position that that was that that was the last game. Um, and, yeah, and, no. and and look, maybe maybe it should have. Um, I'm I'm not going to to lie and and claim that uh, that that I had some, some clue that, uh, that we were going to end up where we did several days later. Um, it became increasingly evident over the course of the week. I, I would say that, uh, that, that by, by Tuesday, um, it was uh, like, this is, 
this is a, a, an, an issue and it's, and it's imminent. Um, and, and then even um, myself and, and one of our other administrators went down to Indianapolis Wednesday morning. The team never left campus. They were scheduled to leave Thursday afternoon. Um, but, uh, but a couple of us were already down there just uh, ahead of the team for some meetings like we normally would be. Um, and even driving down there um, by Wednesday night, once, once um, it was clear that fans were not going to be allowed into the, to the rest of the tournament, um, you could kind of watch everything evolving in, in real time um, as, as the NBA suspended their season. And, and as everything changed, um, it changed so rapidly. And, and in many ways, um, you kind of took a deep breath after kind of that Wednesday, Thursday, and even into Friday. Um, by Friday afternoon, you, you kind of looked around and it was like, how, how did we end up here as opposed to, to where we were just a couple days ago? And, and, and in some ways, um, how, we, how we go back to, to quote unquote normal um, is going to be a dramatically slower process. It's going to be more of a phase in whatever it looks like, whenever it looks like. And, uh, and I know from a sports perspective, we're going to do the best that we can to, to be responsible as to, as to what that looks like. So, so to give an answer as to, as to where things will be in a couple months or, or whatever, whatever it is, um, I don't know. I, and I don't think and anybody, frankly, claiming to know, um, they don't know either. Um, so, so instead we need to, we need to be able to proact, be, be proactive in, in planning based on, based on what we learn over time, based on, based on how this thing goes. Um, and, and then we're going to work to, to get everybody back, um, as safely as, as possible when, when, when the time is right. And, and when those edicts come down from a government standpoint, from a, from a medical standpoint, um, all the, when all those boxes are checked. Um, we're going to be ready, um, but uh, but but until then, um, we'll we'll kind of kind of see what happens. Uh, before we let you go here, uh, can you tell our audience where they can find more information um, on the KPI? Um, yeah, so so the the, the rankings um, post at uh, at factor.dds.net. Um, there's there's also KPISports.net that I'm slowly kind of kind of morphing over to to the factor platform and, uh, and that started to happen during, during this, uh, this past season. So, so they, they, they post there typically daily, um, on, on the men's basketball side. And, and we've got some, some exciting things that, uh, that should be in place before, before next fall or, or whenever we end up, uh, starting back up with, uh, with games, when, whenever that is, um, from a, from a metric and analytics standpoint, we'll be, we'll be more than ready to go. Awesome. You know, and uh, we can't thank you enough for coming on. And, and the reason why you were the white whale is, is for this conversation exactly. It's, it, it, we don't know too many outside of Daryl Morey and, uh, you know, um, Billy Bean, uh, analytics guys that are, that are out there actually performing the Lord's work and, and uh, adding to the game that we love. We, and that's why we really appreciate you coming on. You really uh, – you really broke some things down that are that are uh, alphabet soup, you know, net, Kempom, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and breaking that down for. Us yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to take part. Um, good luck to you guys. It's uh, it's great to great hearing from you and to, and look forward to, to staying in touch down the road. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah thank absolutely. You. Sounds Go good. Green, take care, brother. guys.